Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. We are somehow in the last quarter of the year, so it's a great time to reflect on our accomplishments and plan some new goals for 2020. It's also crucial as we do this that we begin to assess the state of our business. In our latest ebook, you'll learn how to troubleshoot your sales problems using the Sales Performance Assessment. You'll also develop a breakthrough strategy that will help your company achieve major sales growth this coming year. Make sure to go ahead and grab a copy. You can find the link in today's show notes at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod199. Our theme for the month of October is assessing the state of your business. Here on the podcast, we have been talking to our guests about it, and you can check out criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog for more information and advice for you and your team. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and today I am speaking to the CEO of Narrative, a company that trains and coaches individuals on their listening and storytelling method in an effort to help business communication in a meaningful way. They actually recently published an excellent book called Powered by Storytelling that we'll talk a little bit about today. He is based in New York City and is a longtime friend of Criteria for Success and is actually a returning guest to the podcast, which we appreciate, and is a great successful trainer with experience in topics like sales, leadership, and team building. We are very glad to have you back and welcome to the show, Jerome DeRoy. Thank you so much. Great to be here, Elizabeth. Yeah, it's always nice to talk to you. I mentioned in the intro, you're a longtime friend of Criteria for Success. And actually, you and I have known each other for over 10 years now, which is kind of hard to believe. Um, we met first, I think, when when Charles did some training with your company. Um, he attended some yeah. of your training. And then you came and did a training event for us. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's been a, a longtime relationship. It's always nice to talk to old friends. Yeah, absolutely. I, I second that. It's always a pleasure. All right. Well, I just shared some of the highlights of your bio and, and kind of the, the top level bullets, but I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners, maybe talk a bit about the journey that you've taken to get where you are. And if you want to talk a little bit about the book, um, I'm sure people would love to hear about that as well, since that's new since the last time we talked. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there have been a few uh, a few milestones since, uh, since the last time we spoke. Um, yeah. So, you know, where did it all start uh, for me? Well, I, I would say that it, it goes a little bit... Um, even before uh, my time at Narrative, um, you know, this this methodology of, of listening and storytelling that we deliver in all sorts of different environments, as you as you mentioned, uh, I think there's a tie-in with with sales from the very beginning, really, uh, and that is in the mid 1990s uh, when the founder of Narrative, uh, his name is Murray Nossel, he's also the author of the book uh, Powered by Storytelling. Um, he was at the time working as a social worker and his training was in clinical psychology. So he was a trained psychologist. He was um, doing a PhD in social work and anthropology in New York City in the mid 1990s. Uh, the year was 1994 actually. And as part of his PhD, he was placed in a program that took care of people who were afflicted with the AIDS virus at a time when uh, people were dying. And it was a, it was a crisis and a, a health uh, epidemic, really. Um, and the drugs that exist today uh, didn't exist at the time. So young people were dying. And, um, and a lot of people were talking about this. And so that was kind of the environment in New York City, especially. And so he was in this program. And his job was to help people cope with the fact that you know they were very likely 
going to die because the the treat there were no treatments at the time that existed that could uh, help them, and so you know he because he was trained as a psychologist he would ask he would talk to people one on one, and he would ask them how they felt, and inevitably people would say well you know what kind of dumb question is that <laughs> what are they what are they teaching you and what have you been trained to do because uh, how would you feel if you knew you were going to die in a week i don't want to be talking about that uh, obviously i don't feel great about that you know and so um what he then did is that he didn't really speak anymore and he noticed that his training wasn't really working so he had to come up with something else to engage uh, his audience in a way and help them and so what he came up with was just asking them the question, what is your story? And rather than doing it one-on-one, -on -one, he actually created a group and he called it a storytelling group. And he said to people, you know, in this group, all you'll have to do is come in and I will listen to you. And I promise not to judge your story, not to give any of my interpretations from a psychological point of view. And I certainly won't ask you how you feel. And in exchange, uh, all you'll have to do is tell me what happened to you, really? And uh, and what he noticed as well is that you know little by little people would come into this group, and at the same time as as people were talking to him and telling them their stories, he noticed that every week there would be an announcement in this community center uh, that would announce that somebody had died, and there would be a moment of silence. And then they would put the belongings of that person into a big black garbage bag and put it in a room so that their uh, loved ones and family you know, relations could, uh, could pick them up. And more often than not, those were left alone and they were soon uh, put into the trash, actually. And so what he realized as a, as a way of getting people into his storytelling group was that people were not afraid of dying they were actually telling him you know we, we we've come to terms with that so when you ask me how i feel about it it's actually fine with me you know uh but the one thing that they were really afraid of was leaving nothing behind because that's what they were seeing in this in this particular center and so little by little people came into the storytelling group um, and within three months of its creation it was full because people really needed to tell their story as a way of leaving something behind of themselves so it became kind of their legacy people had children you know who were very young and so so they knew that they would somehow see their story. They actually uh, videotaped these stories, kind of old school style in the 90s, and, and they had these videotapes and they gave them to their families and children, etc. And then it became an advocacy tool, and this is where I'm getting to the sales part, or the, the realization uh, that storytelling could have a role in sales, is that the government at the time was threatening budgetary cutbacks to programs such as this one and many others in the country. and. Uh, and so what they did is that they used the videos of those stories and they went into a yellow school bus and drove from Brooklyn, New York to Albany, New York, where the government of the state of New York is. And they left their, their tapes on the desks of legislators and they told them, listen to my story, watch my story and tell me I don't deserve the same rights as everybody else in this country. And it's on the basis of these stories that really kind of humanized this epidemic that the whole mindset around the virus started to change so that instead of seeing these people as afflicted with a virus that only um, would, you know, that it, 
that only affected a certain part of the population, a very marginalized part of the population. Now people were seeing this as people who had families, who were fathers, who were mothers, daughters, sons, etc., had jobs, you know, and were functioning members of society, essentially, and that they were dying in large numbers. And so that really changed the tide, so much so that for this particular group, the budgetary cutbacks didn't happen. They actually got more money. And there was more money put into research so that a year or two later, the drugs that exist today and allow people to live with the virus um, started to come into the market. And so many of the, the people in that group uh, indeed died, but also many of them survived actually and are thriving today. So that's really where the methodology uh, that narrative uses still today, uh, very largely in in, uh, in businesses, was born, and it was really born out of this crisis. And I always link this to sales because, to me, advocacy or having to convey a message that's urgent and trying to convince someone to either change a process or convince you to fund something has a lot to do with sales and sort of that mindset of here I've got a product or a service. It solves something very specific, very particular, but it's not enough for me to tell you all about the features of this great product or service. I have to somehow relate to the challenge or pain point that this is solving. And it's only when I've been able to tell you the story of how this challenge or pain point has an impact on your clients, on your prospects, on your on your colleagues, whatever it is, on your life, uh, then will I be allowed by you, my listener, to actually say more about my features and my wonderful product and service and how different it is from everybody else's, right? So that's kind of the, you know, the the, the, the longer version of of how I introduce narrative, you know, for for an audience that's that's interested in sales, um, because I, I do see that you know from those beginnings in a period of crisis where we're working a lot with foundations and nonprofit organizations, and we still do today, uh, it's still a large part of our business, but then we've evolved to actually helping businesses in finding the stories that they need to tell to really convey their message in the most powerful and compelling way, always paying attention to who's listening. That's a very big part of, of what we do is, it's it's a storytelling method, but it's also a listening method. And so, and that's really what's been, um, encompassed in our in our book powered by storytelling uh, with the subtitle is excavate craft and present stories to transform business communication um, and the book really uh, basically gives you all the steps of our methodology using real world examples of businesses that we've worked with and certain individuals uh, there's even uh, particular story that's told of one individual that we've coached uh, through telling his story because he needed to uh, show how his company was changing and how they were addressing those changes. And so he came up with a story that could inspire his team to sort of follow this new vision. So that's that's the uh, nutshell of, of what we do and where we come from. I really love that, Jerome. Um, it, it, Obviously, that that time was an incredibly specific time, mm -hmm. and um, you hear a lot about what came out of um, the history of that time. Mm -hmm. it, it turned into it turned a lot of people into lifelong activists, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and really created um, a significant moment. There are organizations like the GMHC mm -hmm. that came out of that time, and that turned into um, they they created the AIDS Walk, the New York AIDS Walk, and mm -hmm. um, to this day, I participate every every year as a team leader um, mm -hmm. because 
uh, the work that they do in terms of advocacy is incredibly powerful. And so I think a lot of times um, what happens when you experience something so powerful is you can take those concepts and figure out how does that translate to day-to-day life? Because, um, you know, it's... it is important when you when you encounter people to understand that you don't know everything about where they are, and that's happening um, obviously when people are, are dying. You don't have that that strong sense of everything about who they are, but that's also relevant when it comes to selling, when it comes to managing, when it comes to leading. You're interacting with people and you're capturing them in one specific moment. So to be able to um, connect at a story level where you're just asking people kind of facts. And you're you're letting them communicate um, what they're comfortable with. That really puts the power in their hands, and that um, that removes that level of intimidation um, and weirdness that can happen if people think that you're trying to really translate what it is that they're communicating um, yes. and maybe judging them on it. And that's an incredibly powerful tool to think about when it comes to sales, when it comes to leadership. When you're asking questions of people, are you setting them up to think that you're judging them? Are you setting them up to think that you're interpreting um, and and not really listening to what they say? Because what's going to happen is you're going to change the stories that they tell and and maybe even shut them down. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And what often happens is that as you're listening to someone, you're really thinking about what you're going to say next. And, and especially if you're selling something because you're constantly thinking about, you know, what, what is the next thing that I can say that can have an impact? And as a result of that, you're not really present to, the, to what the person is telling you, which is really the essential information you need at that moment. No matter how much you've prepared, no matter how many conversations you've had with that very same person, you don't know how they're entering the room that day. And so that's a lot of what, what we do is sort of come up with some strategies that can help your own listening of someone and help elicit the kinds of stories that you need from them first in order to even start to begin telling your own, you know? And so, so yes, yeah, so that's, that's, that I think that's very uh, true. The parallel that you draw between that you drew, you know, between this sort of life and death event that happened and, and still has an impact today um, to, you know, how does that translate into a business sort of circumstance and context and especially a sales context. And I think a lot of times when I sort of analyze that time and I look at it, what was really going on is that there were lots and lots of statistics, lots of numbers were being bandied about. And we see this in every crisis, you know, humanitarian crises, especially um, where, you know, if there's an earthquake, you hear about the millions of people impacted and usually organizations will come and say, you know, we need this much money to make an impact on however many people. And the problem with those numbers, even if they're well-intentioned, is that it's sort of, it doesn't, the human mind is not actually designed to grasp that sort of enormous event. I mean, that's why mm-hmm. people traumatized by events like that is because our, our minds try to grasp them and, and we really can't, we're not equipped for it. However, when you are told a story about a specific inju- individual who's impacted by by something and you follow that individual's journey through a story, that is something that the mind is particularly well equipped for. And not only is it well equipped for, it's the thing that it's going to remember most, more than any statistics, more than all the numbers in the world. It's the stories that people remember the most. And so that's really where from that sort of realization and recognition of, of that kind of research that we decided that, you know, businesses 
needed to learn these types of methodologies and learn how to tell their the, the stories that matter to their audiences because that's what their audiences are going to be able to understand the most in terms of who you are what you do what you're trying to sell what you're trying to do in the world if you're not able to tell a specific story that involves specific human beings and individuals uh, then your message is not going to resonate or have the impact that it could have Absolutely. That reminds me of a quote, um, and I think it was Mark Zuckerberg that said this, uh, and it, a lot of times this gets judgment, but I think it's actually true about humanity, and it's that you probably care more about a squirrel dying in your backyard than about people dying on the other side of the world. Right. And a lot of that is when we see something, when we're, when we're connected to it in that way, it's really compelling to us. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. If, if I want you to care about people dying on the other side of the world, I, need, I can't just say 100 people died. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's bad. And obviously, we all, we all care about that. But mm-hmm. if I can tell you the story of an individual who is a part of that mm-hmm. or the societal um, it, you know, changes or, or what's making that happen, people care more about that because they were able to have that emotional connection. And you don't kind of force people to have it. They have to have it for themselves, but you can um, help uncover it. Um, I love that. It's, it's so incredibly powerful storytelling. And I actually, the reason that we invited you to talk today Mm -hmm. is that we thought that we could see how storytelling connects in a really different part of business. than a lot of people think about it. Um, So as you know, in October, we talked about this in the intro, our theme for the month is assessing the state of your business. And we think that storytelling can actually be a part of that. So can you talk for a little bit about how you see how storytelling could be a part of assessing the state of an organization? Absolutely. And, and um, you know, I, I think it's such a great uh, kind of initiative to think of this month as, as a time to assess the state of your business, because a lot of people are doing that at this moment. I, I did it uh, last month, actually, and sort of looking, you know, what, what do we... What are we going to be focusing on in 2020 and beyond, um, and how do we prepare for that? And so, you know, I, I think of, of storytelling as playing a role in that process. When you sort of assess the state of your business, what are you really doing? You're taking stock. You're taking an inventory of what you have, what you've done, what are your assets, you know, who are your clients, and and you're sort of taking a snapshot. Of the of the landscape that is your business, and to me that has a lot of a lot to do. You know, when I talk about storytelling, I, and I alluded to this earlier, I also talk about listening. And for me, assessing the state of your business should lead to some kind of a narrative. If you look at the past, you know, year, let's say, you should be able to see some elements of a narrative that's coming that's coming through connections. You know, you're mm-hmm. making connections this engagement that you had with this one client maybe there was an innovation over here all of that is part of a story but what you're really doing is you're listening to what you've done you're listening to your clients you're listening to the market you're listening to your colleagues at the same time so for me that the whole assessing your business is taking an inventory but it's really listening and it's and it's having conversations with people and asking them you know if you're going back to clients for example this is an exercise we did six months ago where we went back to many of our clients and we asked them you know we worked with you one year two years three years ago even six months ago 
what was the value of what we brought? You know, how would you describe the work that we did with you this time around? Like if I ask you now, you know, much later, um, and we usually do this, you know, right after an engagement. But it was so interesting to hear, you know, those reflections back because there was so much, so much new information. And of course, there was new information because people had gone through something in the last year, two years, three years, or six months. And so, of course, they weren't, they had a training with us and they looked at, okay, how has the, how have they evolved now? You know, what's, what's new with them and how does that evolve how we talk about ourselves? So I think the first step is really about listening and, and you can sort of think about listening to three different, um, you know, uh, actors or players so to speak you know first there's your there's your colleagues internally you know who do you have there that that you could start to interview and ask questions about the last year and then you know your clients your customers mm -hmm. great source and of course the market in general you know we use uh, social media and other tools to try to connect with the outside world our website etc what can you learn from people's interactions that you haven't even had a conversation with but i know for us for example we know when people download something from our from our website um, and there's usually an email that goes with that and so we'll send them an email and we'll say okay hey you know what was the reason for you downloading this uh, this this case study or this profile whatever it is um, you know, or downloading a webinar that we did. So there's so much, so many ways to glean information. And so for me, once you've done that work of, that's part of the work of assessing your business. And once you've done that, then you can start to see a story emerging. And for us, you know, a story has different elements, but essentially what we always look for is, you know, what's the beginning of my story? You know, wh where are we starting here? Are we starting mm -hmm. with particular type of engagement and product that we're selling and that's you know what we're trying to do more of we're trying to sell more of that um and then you know what what might be a turning point something that perhaps changed or something where we innovated and had a particularly strong impact that wasn't that we didn't necessarily plan for or expect uh, and it could be positive or negative by the way uh, so sort of looking at, the, at your whole inventory or assessment with storytelling principles, you know, what's my beginning, what's my middle, what's my end? And I think the end is really important because when you're thinking about assessment of, of the past, what you're really doing is you're thinking about the future. And so what should I be doing in the future based on this assessment? And that could be seen as the end of your story. And we often tell our clients to think about the end first. Where do you want to end this story, you know, that you're about to begin? And so I think when you're doing an assessment is what is it that you're trying to assess and why you know where do you want to end that uh, and then be open of course to what might emerge as part of that assessment but already having in your mind you know if i'm looking at the end of 2020 what would i ideally want to happen by the end of 2020 for my business and now let me look at my at what's happened in the last year in relation to that end and see if things change a little bit in how you view your business i really love that thinking about um, planning as what's the story I want to be able to tell at the end of next year. Yeah. 
because that really impacts your behavior. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to jump back to something you were talking about a few minutes ago, because I think it's incredibly powerful. When you mentioned those three audiences to look at, or those three Mm -hmm. players to look at and and think about their story, um, there's a story that your colleagues can tell. So that's going to be the story about what was happening internally at your organization. You know, what did you plan on doing this year? Uh, How did people execute on those goals? What things did they try, but they didn't work? What were new projects and new ideas that came up? Um, what were they drawn into? You can mm-hmm. even tell the story based on um, new people joined the team and contributed in ways that were unexpected. Maybe some people left the team and yep. that impacted the story. And so there's a lot of story there. And then you said um, your clients and your customers. So obviously there's what did people actually buy from you? Mm-hmm. Uh, And that might be different than what you planned on selling, right? So we came in and we thought 50% of our our market would be this, and then nobody wanted to buy that. But the other thing that we thought would be 50% of our market, that grew, and then we came up with an entirely new product, and we still hit our goal. Okay, yes. that tells us something, right. and that impacts the story that we want to tell next year. That, that initial product or service that people didn't seem interested in, are we going to take another crack at it? Are we going to revise it? Are we going to drop it all together? Um, And then that third one that you said, the market, you know, I I love that you mentioned looking at ebooks and webinars and things, because a a lot of times people think I need to do extensive market research. I need to do um, a long study. And certainly Mm -hmm. if you have the budget for it, if you have the time and the capacity, that is always a good idea to get market research. Mm -hmm. But a really easy thing to see is, hey, we've got 15 eBooks out there. What are the two or three that are getting the most downloads? Mm -hmm. We did Mm -hmm. a webinar every month. So we've got 12 webinars this year. Which one did the most people register for? Mm -hmm. Um, And once you start to see what people are interested in, that again drives some decision making where you could say, you know, let's, let's drill in on what were the things that seem to be compelling to our market this year um, and how do we how do we implement you know more of that next year how do we level up and everything else so that we're, we're hitting those same targets and that's all part of that same story yeah. that you're discerning about the past yes yes exactly and I think it's it's uh, it's helpful to think about it as a story when you are in a position to communicate that to other people in your company. So if you're the person who's looking at this and who's assessing the state of, of your business, and maybe, you know, if, if you're a smaller business, maybe it's just you, you know, maybe you have a team of people that are doing that, but you're gonna have to communicate that to the rest of the business so that they can understand why you're going in a certain direction uh, next year. And, it, and that it's based on a past story of something that actually happened. So I love that you use those examples, you know, of like 12 downloads over here, 15 over here, you know, people bought this um, this product in this amount because it's very specific. And, and, and one of the most important principles of storytelling is, is to be specific. If you're not specific, then people don't really follow you. So if your vision is, is an aspiration essentially, and says, you know, we're going to change the world with this particular service, or we're gonna change the way people interact with banking, let's say with this new financial tech product, you know, that's great, but it's not specific enough. Once you've got that vision, then you have to make it really, really specific. And you have to explain to your, to your colleagues and customers, why you're going in in a certain direction with that because that's also 
going to help you to differentiate yourselves from all the other people that are trying to change the banking world, right? So, um, so yes, so I think that, you know, you can use storytelling principles all along the way, and it's helpful to think about this assessment as, you know, the ultimate goal is for you to tell a story about that assessment so that people can understand why you're going in a certain direction. That, that question why is so important because you're, you're really guiding people somewhere. And if people aren't really understanding why you're going in that direction, then they're not really likely to, to be on board with the idea. Absolutely. If you picture an executive um, leading a town hall where they bring their entire um, team of employees together and they've got some people in person and some people joining remotely, just picture the difference between here are our stats from last year. We sold this much. We did this much. We did this much. We did this much. Good job, this team. Bad job, this team. We didn't hit this project. Um, that's certainly impactful in one way. Um, but what if instead that same executive said, let's talk about the story of 2019. Um, think back to where we were at the beginning of this year. We had, you know, we had 10 fewer people on the team. We had, you know, 20% fewer people on the team. Um, let's recognize some of our new hires. Uh, stand up if you were hired in the past year. Um, we thought that we were going to do this over the past, last year. And we accomplished a lot of that, but part of it we didn't. Let's talk about what we learned um, from the, the past year and, and really tell it in the, in the context of a story. That's going to be a significantly more impactful conversation, and that's going to help people as you then look forward into planning for 2020, and as you think about um, how do we need to how do we need to change things, change things? What do we need to do going into 2020? It's going to really change the way you approach that, and yes. all of that is just because of the different context that you set from the beginning. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think I think it's spot on, and, and you know, I. Um, what, what you'll always notice in, assess, in an assessment uh, is same to it is similar to what you'll always notice in the structure of a story. It that there's is that there's always a moment of change, and so when you're assessing the last year of the state of the business, you will notice some changes, just like the ones you you mentioned as examples, right? And so when you because the brain knows that when you're being told a story, your brain starts to expect a change because mm -hmm. we now we naturally know it it's what makes us want to know what the end of a story is what's going to happen next etc is because there is always that moment of change is what we call a turning point you know and so it's identifying you know what are what were those turning points over the last year and and how will you build on those turning points either by acknowledging you know changes so, such as people leaving or you know acquiring a new business or new people coming in, acknowledging that and what it does, what it has done for your business, uh, whether negative or positive, doesn't matter. There's no, you, you know, it's kind of like the story that I told about the the founder of Narrative, you know, saying, "I'm not going to interpret this. I'm not going to mm -hmm. judge this. You, you're going to be the own judges of, of it, right?" And yeah, I think it's, it's just what happened. <laughs> exactly, it's just what happened, and it's important to come with that sort of attitude uh, because it's you know it's very it can be quite uncomfortable you can sort of see you know changes that are that have happened and sort of think well mm, gosh when i tell people about that you know it may not be so comfortable but if you have your eye 
on the end of that story and where you want to take people, then it's important to actually acknowledge those moments and then and then to bring them to a more aspirational place and a positive place of like, yeah, you know, we, we actually hit our goals. We didn't hit them in the way that we thought we would, but we actually did, you know, and based on that, now we're going to go to this other place based on these two or three elements that we've identified uh, as, as sort of the conclusions of this assessment, right? Because I think that's the other thing too, is that a story gives you uh, a way to succinctly, um, uh, you know, give the, give the conclusions of that assessment. So to me, it's, it's kind of like you do the assessment, you look at everything in great detail, and then you start to craft the story. You, mm-hmm. you, you as a way of crafting a story that's not too long, that's good for that audience, and that is on point in terms of the direction you, you want to take them in, right? So you're not glossing over anything, you're not embellishing anything, but rather you're taking them through some very specific milestones, some very specific markers that the business has gone through, and, and that's the story that you've chosen to tell them, right? And then I think what's really important is that once you've told that story, you have to build in some time to listen, right? Mm-hmm. So that so absolutely. That, oh yeah, you know, you mentioned that story about Sam, you know, who's one of our longest clients, you, you know, longest standing clients, and what we did with him that was new this year, and because of that experience, we're going to go in this particular direction. I also wanted to share a story that I had with a newer client last month, you know, that we just brought in, and I, and I'd love to share that story and see how it fits within this direction. You know, that's the kind of thing that when you start to relate to something as a story, then other people are gonna wanna share their stories. And that's when you as a leader are going to get the information that you need to actually make sure that everyone is rowing in the same direction, as opposed to, I've made an assessment with my team, with my crack team over here, and you know, <laughs> we've all the people to do that. Here's the story. Okay, now you all go and do it, right? So, but you build that, that you really have to build a time to actually listen to people and how that story is received um, because stories are made to evolve, you know, and, and so uh, you may be going in a certain direction, but according to the specifics that you choose to explain to people why you're going in that direction, it's important to build in some time for people to actually put in their own reflections and their own stories. Absolutely. And I love that idea of looking for turning points Mm -hmm. because that is the skeleton, the outline of the story. When we think about just the stereotypical, if you're telling an adventure story, if you're writing a movie, writing a novel, right, um, you're going to start out on one path and then something Mm -hmm. happens to get you off track. Otherwise, mm-hmm. there's nothing interesting. And, you know, then something else happens and it puts you off track in the different direction. And when we're telling a story of our business, it's looking for those those indications, those turning points. But yeah. like you said, that step of listening and of getting the audience involved, we can do some level of analysis and interpretation of those turning points and figure out these were the most important ones. These were the ones that seemed to make the biggest changes. But um that I love that example that you shared of you know we learned this from our most uh, from our oldest most longstanding client, um, and so we've decided to completely change our business around that. It's good if you if you open up your listening to other people, and somebody else on the team might say yes. You know, Sam was really interested in that, and but Sam's a little different from most of our clients now, and and we're not mm-hmm. finding more Sams out there. And so mm-hmm. while clients like Sam might be interested in that. 
I don't think that's necessarily the, the way to build the rest of our business because I don't think there's a huge market for it. So what if we were to say, um, let's do a little bit of that, but let's try to figure out something else that's more compelling to the rest of our audience. And yes. sometimes, especially people in leadership, in larger organizations, you might not be as connected um, at the ground as, as your other employees are. And so they know the details of stories that you don't really have insight into. And so unless you open up your listening, you might be missing out on key stories, key things that would impact the decisions that you're making. Yes, absolutely. And you know, it goes back to, to what we were talking about earlier, those, those three levels. Um, and, and, you know, I'm sure that, uh, listeners might might think of other ones actually but you know the three that came to my mind of listening to the market listening to your current clients and listening to you know your internal team your colleagues and i think that really when you are assessing the state of your business it's really important to bring them in at that stage you know who are those key kind of stakeholders and people that you need to hear from and then you know no matter how much you know how exhaustive you've been um, you know, when you when it comes time to actually share that story and your find and the, the story of your findings, uh, then yes, keep it open still. You know, um, and 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 because there may be some people who didn't have an opportunity to to speak when you when you sort of went on this listening campaign for assessing the state assessing the state of your business. So I think that listening is sort of this through line that you always have to come back to, and and that yes, you're you know you view your entire business as this ecosystem of ideas and and who's got ideas but people and so you really want to make sure that you've got some kind of a system to be able to capture those ideas and those voices um, and the best way to do that in, in my experience is when you tell your own story and you share that of where you think the business is going and then if you do it as a story then it's going to engender other stories it's going to generate other stories and so you mm -hmm. really want to build that time for, for, for listening to those stories, because that's going to inform the sort of story 2.0 version, you know, exactly as you, as you, um, you know, used as an example there. So, so, and I think the other thing too, that I just wanted to mention as you were, as you were telling that example, um, based on mine was, you know, you know, I, I don't think that that's necessarily the best direction to go in. You know, someone might say that because I've had an experience that's a little different from, uh, you know, all these other clients that we're mentioning here. Uh, I think what's great about what what storytelling sort of forces you to do is to be specific. And mm -hmm. when you're telling a story, you actually move away from uh, sort of thoughts and decision-making processes, but you're really... Um, describing things that happened right so you know this happened to sam over here all right but this also happened to joe over here and that's real that's something that happened and let me tell you a little bit more about the data points that we've got here you know so i think sometimes people confuse story with just sort of qualitative um you know recommendations or or maybe a summary uh, but really there's a lot of room in the story to actually bring in data very strategic mm -hmm. You know, so so you can make that part of your story. And I think the more specific you are, especially in assessments like this, the less uh, it's possible for people to veer into their own interpretations of it and sort of saying, well, or their, or even their own opinions. You know, they might have a feeling about something. Mm -hmm. But if your story is based on reality and based on something that happened, then it's much more difficult to argue with that with your own feelings about it. So maybe you, you feel like, oh, 
I don't really like this direction. Yeah, okay, that's your that's your opinion. That's your opinion. But or maybe you don't agree with it. But tell me what specifically um, you don't agree with and why, and root it in in something that's real, that's tangible, uh, instead of something that's more about a feeling that you're having. Absolutely. I think um, when it comes to kind of crafting that story and you, you kind of go on that listening tour, right? You, you, you're you reaching out to these key constituencies and, and, and kind of hearing what the story seems to be and evaluating that story or, or absorbing that story. When you identify those key points of the story, whether it's a turning point or whether it's a result that was achieved, that tells you each turning point you should measure. You know, what was the impact of that turning point? Um, what were the numbers before and what were the numbers after? Um, how many of these kinds of customers do we have? What are we seeing in terms of growth? And when you put those stats in the context of a story, it helps understand and explain the statistics. But you can't just tell a story that's just, you know, here's how I felt at the beginning of the year. And I kind of felt like things went well. And then I feel like things got complicated. That's not a powerful story. And it's, it's hard to make good decisions based on that. So I think that's yes. a really great, um, great thing to identify is that stories are not just your feelings. Um, mm -hmm. They're based on details and facts. Yes, exactly, exactly. All right. Well, you mentioned uh, a little while ago that you had just recently completed or, or at least began your um, your strategic planning for 2020. So I'd love if you could share what are you seeing as you assess the state of your business going into 2020? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting timing when you reached out to me. We were, we were sort of uh, in the middle of that. And we, we started an initiative um, about six months ago of reaching out to uh, our clients and uh, and people that have been pretty close to us over the few years over the last few years and and really ask them questions about the value that we provided where they were as a business you know what what they were still using from the kinds of training that we did for them and, and our programs what they were seeing as the future and and really went in it without any um, you know, we didn't have any agenda in term other than really learning. Uh, we didn't have a, a sales agenda for this. Um, you know, we, we just went in saying, let's just ask some candid questions and see, you know, what people say about us, essentially. And um, and we came back and sort of looked at that. And at the same time, we did all of those, um, you know, statistical uh, assessments that we would do according to our goals and, and where revenue came from in the last year and you know who came to us etc what was new about it so we put all of that together and there was something really interesting that happened that actually happened three years ago uh, but that sort of came back um, and and showed us something new this time that wasn't really shown to us three years ago when it actually happened but essentially three years ago a client of ours came to us um, and said and we had been uh, helping them with uh, their pitch mostly and fundraising uh, this is a nonprofit organization that operates very much like a for-profit organization uh, very big uh, spurt of growth they're funded by uh, you know big uh, sort of tech tech foundations their product is a tech product um, and they use it uh, they're called Measures for Justice, and they and they use it to create a system of checks and balances across the United States. Um, believe it or not, the criminal justice system, the way it works, is is very much county by county. So everyone sort of operates independently, and it's very difficult to, for one county to know what's going on in the in the next. And as a result, 
they're not really benefiting from best practices from each other. So one county could be doing very, very well in one measure of the criminal justice system, but very badly in another, but doesn't have any uh, knowledge that it's doing well or badly, and it doesn't have any knowledge about what other counties are doing. So this is a, a, an organization that was created specifically to fix that and, and resolve that. So very data-oriented, and so we help them a lot with their story of, of messaging, et cetera, over the years. And then they came to us and said, well, you know, you helped us almost too well because we've we've uh, raised all our funds and now we've, we've got to hire a lot of people. And so they've been hiring <laughs> And uh, in the last uh, in the last year or so before they came to us and noticed that their onboarding program was very largely about, you know, shadowing someone in the field. So what they have to do is they they're very they their teams are remote. They're all over the U.S. They're based in Rochester, but their their teams are all over the place in the U.S. as they're as they're continuing this growth. And so they have to have people that are on the ground and then go into sheriff's offices, local judges, local prosecutors, et cetera, and collect data from them that they can bring back um, so that they, they have this larger set of data that, that they can use on a, on a nationwide basis. And so it's a very painstaking job. Um, and it's also very difficult. It's kind of like a sales job in a way because you're often coming into um, a, an audience that has a lot of objections. You know, maybe they don't have the data, maybe they don't want to give you the data because they're afraid it's going to make them look bad or whatever mm -hmm. it is. So, you know, these are things that they have to uh, explain to people and really clarify in terms of the roles. Of, the, of people coming in, and so they were. They were. They had known that over the last few years, the way they had done it was, you know, that worked the best was for someone to shadow someone else in the field for a few months, and then you were ready to go out and do that on your own. Well, when you're going from, you know, ten people to fifty to then sixty to eighty in a very uh, short amount of time, then you don't have time to do that. You don't have time to actually send people, to, and ha you don't have enough people, first of all, to to be the people who are going to guide you on this journey. And so what we did is we decided to look at this from a storytelling point of view. And we said, well, where are the stories? Who are the people who have the stories that can provide the clarity of the role? So who are the people that have been in situations and have gone through the challenges of meeting a sheriff for the first time, of meeting that counterpart for the first time and getting those objections? And what are those stories? And so we identified people within the company who were already employed and have been there for a long time. And we identified situations and challenges that are very likely to happen for new hires. And so we did this program three years ago where people essentially learned about their job and about the company through stories of their peers. And, uh, and it was very successful. And three years later, we did this um, you know, assessment of our own where we asked them, you know, how's it been going? What have been the, what's been the impact? And they told us all about this, these positive impact. And so, so much so that, and, and six months into, uh, into doing these, uh, these surveys, we also had a new request from another prospect uh, who became a client recently and, and where it was a similar thing where they were asking about, you know, how can we add value to our onboarding system? We already have an onboarding system, but we feel like we need to create something more. And so again, we applied storytelling to this and, and capturing stories from people who are already in the company and, and using those to clarify people's roles uh, in terms of new hires, sort of decrease the time that it takes to understand your role and increase the time 
uh, increase the likelihood of your of you integrating into the culture that already exists in this company. And so that was one of the big sort of turning points for us in, in these uh, in this assessment that we did, where we sort of saw, wow, there's a whole new angle to to what we do, you know. And and of course, you know, it did we it didn't mean that we suddenly do not do sales or team building or leadership, we always do all those things and we still will, but there is this new emerging uh, market for us and need that's very specific uh, and that has to do with onboarding. And so that's something we're excited about because, and we wouldn't have, um, you know, we wouldn't have discovered that if we hadn't taken the time to really assess where our business was and what were those growth opportunities for us. Um, so that's a big thing that we're excited for 2020 is now, you know, putting more of an effort into um, sort of marketing this this service of onboarding people through stories of their of their peers. That's so incredibly powerful. Thank you for sharing that, Jerome. Because, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a lot of times we see, and and I see this in our clients, that as you said, when you're hiring people. The, one of the biggest things that takes time and one of the biggest differentiators between an experienced employee um, and the success they're able to create and a new employee and where they struggle is understanding how to leverage internal resources, understanding how the process works, understanding the difference between a successful project and a not successful one. What are the key, again, turning points along the way of, of a project, of a sale, of whatever it is, that are the difference between success and failure. And so often we put people in the position that they have to learn that the hard way, that it's only when you do it or you, you ride along and somebody else does it that you're able to experience it. And so we have people that are working for two years and they're encountering a situation that they've never encountered before and they have to kind of learn for themselves yes. versus saying, let's pull together uh, a library of stories, um, both success stories. And we actually have, I think we, we talked about this last time we spoke, we have an ebook um, that, that gives best practices for building a library of success stories and, and doing storytelling training with your team. Um, so we'll include yeah. a link to that in the show notes. Um, certainly when it comes to sales, just having a library of here are success stories, here are things that we've successfully sold and how we sold it, why it was compelling to the prospect. What was the journey that we went along? You know, what information did we need to know from them to understand the situation they were in so that we could effectively position our offering? You know, what what were the steps along the way of that sale? What what was really compelling to them from the start versus what did we really have to work on because they didn't seem to care about it, but it was important yeah. to us. And yes. when you have those stories documented and people can just access them, you know, in a place like a sales playbook or, or any other system that, that you can create for them, then you don't have to wait for them to just learn it for themselves and discover it for themselves. You're, you're giving them that resource from the start. And so I think that's, that's just an incredibly powerful um, program to develop around collecting those stories. And I know you guys always have um, really robust processes around um, documenting stories. That's something mm -hmm. that you guys are, are experts in and, you know, collecting them, whether it's in video form or audio form, um, figuring out what's the best way to convey them. So that sounds like a really exciting development as, um, as you go into next year. Yes. And, and you know, one thing I, I would encourage uh, people to think about as well 
is the stories of failures, uh, you know, and how you've actually overcome those. Uh, because there's a kind of a stigma around that, which is, you know, let's let's not talk too much about our failures uh, and let's let's go right to the successes. But the thing is, it, it's the same, to me, it's the same thing. It's just that we're giving it a different uh, spin, essentially. But success and failure are actually pretty similar because there are things that you learned along the way in order to be successful. And then there are things that you learned from your failures. And so one of the things that I've found really fascinating is as we've developed this program for clients, what we're getting in terms of feedback, the stories that resonate the most, a lot of times are the stories where the protagonist was facing a problem and could not solve it. And so actually ended in failure, but then went to the next meeting, learned from that failure, and the next meeting where they, they faced a similar situation, they actually knew how to overcome it because they had learned from that past uh, experience. And the other thing that we weren't necessarily anticipating is that because these are told uh, as stories by the people who actually lived those, those events, it actually brought people together um, it connecting them in a, in a way uh, that sort of bonded people together because suddenly a lot of these, uh, uh, you know, when we, when we go in and, and collect these kinds of stories and we, uh, we coach people to tell their stories around situations that, you know, weren't necessarily comfortable or were, or were difficult and how they overcame them, we go right to the source. And a lot of times these are the people who sort of are leaders in the company now or who've grown to be leaders in the company. So when you're a new hire and you hear one of your new leaders, you might be very intimidated by, by that person, even if it's unconscious. You know, you're probably very excited because it's your first week, your first month there. Uh, but you're also, you know, there's a part of you that's also like, wow, you know, this person is kind of like God, you know. <laughs> I'm going to follow everything they say. And if it's only about successes, then your image of that person is, is that they're even more intimidating, you know. But when you have that person saying, talking to you about a time where they really struggled with a client or they struggled with something about the product or service that you're about to go out and sell as a new hire, and here's how they overcame that struggle or challenge, then not only are you learning from them, but you're, you also feel closer to that person. You feel like that person is actually a human being. They were in your shoes before. They also had to learn, and now they're giving you their wisdom so that you don't have to make that same mistake, right? And you're, you are going to make mistakes, you know, because new things are going to come up along the way. And so you have to kind of build a system, a robust system that, that can take into account those new situations and new challenges. But I think it's really important to also frame things in such a way that you're also capturing those moments of, of struggle and challenge and how people overcame them. Absolutely. I think there's there's two really powerful um, parts of that. Uh, I wrote a blog post years ago, and I'll try to find it and share a link in the show notes about the importance of sharing your epic fails. Because <laughs> like you said, um, not only is it humanizing and it kind of removes that gap that you see mm -hmm. between the person and you and, and they become a real person, but also we learn most from mistakes and failures. And would yeah. you rather have to learn not to touch a hot stove because you burned yourself? Or if you heard a story of somebody else touching a hot stove and burning themselves, then you might know I shouldn't touch the hot stove. Yeah. And um, it's a whole lot better to be able to, um, to make those decisions and, and learn from others. So yes. uh, that's incredibly powerful. All right, I am looking at the clock and we have gone a yep. little longer than I thought we would. So um, I'm gonna get through a couple of questions here sure. uh, quickly if you have time. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Happy All to. right. So um, you mentioned at the beginning the, the book that you guys recently published and definitely recommend that people check that out. But what are some of the other sales and business growth books maybe related to assessing the state of your business or something else um, that you would recommend to our audience? Well, there's two books that, that I, I'm actually reading kind of simultaneously at the moment. Uh, I, I tend to pick something up and then uh, in the middle of it, some, someone else uh, will recommend something. So I, I never quite <laughs> finished books. That's the only problem with this system. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but, I, but there are two that I'm enjoying at the moment. Um, one is called um, Built to Sell. And it's not a new book. It's been around for a long time. Uh, but it's, it's definitely a great book in terms of... Uh, so it's called Built to Sell. And it's great to... Uh, you know, for anyone who's in business for themselves and, and has a, a, you know, is a business owner, uh, but it, it, any leader, really, there are a lot of principles in there in terms of how to create a business that you can sell, which means that even if you don't want to sell that business, um, it's, it actually is full of principles for creating a business that can operate essentially without you. Um, so it's all about how do you build a team? How do you build a, a service? just like you would have built a product um, and it's and, and it's got steps and and it's really great I've, I've been uh, I've been sort of following it and and, uh, and a lot of these um, new initiatives that that we have have been inspired actually by by reading that book so that's one that I would definitely recommend built to sell um, and then the other one that I'm reading is is uh, immunity to change um, and and it's all about it's really geared towards uh, leadership um, and and there's, there are some elements in there that I think are relevant to sales and relevant to what we've been talking about on this, uh, on this podcast today, uh, which is really how do you create a culture in which change is not a bad thing, essentially, and in which you are able to navigate those changes, adjust those changes, and adjust to those changes and adapt to them. Uh, and so it's called immunity to change because it's actually a methodology so that when you are faced with change, um, you know, a lot of us may freeze or may want to do the same things that we've always been doing or resistant to change. Well, this is kind of building an immunity to uh, resistance uh, to change so that you're really embracing change and you and you have specific principles and steps, which is what I'm enjoying about this one. Uh, it's not too theoretical. It's, it, it gives you some some practices as well. I love that. Um, I can say I've read the first of those books that you recommended, Built to Sell, but not the second. So I'll be checking that out. Yeah. Um, and they really go together because Built to Sell is all about um, building, like you said, building an organization. And so it talks about things like getting tribal knowledge and, mm -hmm. and making sure that that's collected, pulling things like stories out of people's heads and documenting them. So onboarding is easier um, and all of those key principles. Uh, but then as you implement those changes, it does require understanding how to make change work. And change can be incredibly upsetting for some people. Mm -hmm. And there are some people who are just especially resistant to change just because of who they are. Um, and they might find it really intimidating. And so figuring out for yourself, how do I how do I make change work for me and how do I absorb change? Um, but then also figuring out how to, how to make it work for other people. Um, and I, I always love tactical guides rather than just theoretical. So I'll definitely be checking that one out. Great. All right. So here at Let's Talk Sales, we are always looking for tactical advice, speaking of that, that we can provide to our listeners. So do you have an actionable tip that you would recommend? Yeah, well, you know, we talked about a few things and and definitely, you know, I love this idea of, of the inventory um, and sort of looking at your whole 
assessment as a story and using principles for that, but just to be a little more specific and leave people with with um, with something that's even more specific than that. Um, I would say that when you're ready to tell uh, a story, whatever it is that you're trying to convey in terms of a message and you've figured out you know, what your beginning and end are gonna be and what your turning point is, then really my, my best advice in terms of actually delivering that story is to always think about what happened and to, and to steer clear of too many uh, judgments, interpretations, opinions, and thought processes of your own, uh, but really try to ground the story in something real that happened to a human being, either you or someone else, ideally both actually, where there's a relationship between people in that story and there's dialogue and really try to bring that to life. And my best advice in terms of being able to bring something to life is to just say what happened and try to take out all of your own commentary that you may be very attached to. And so it's kind of, a, it's a difficult discipline. Uh, but when you do it successfully, it's very rewarding because what it does for your audience is that it lets them judge and it lets them interpret and it's, it lets them have their own opinions about what happened. Um, and, and that's really how you can engage an audience, how they can feel like, oh, I'm not being spoon fed this information. I'm not being told how to think but rather I'm just being told a story of something that happened and now I can actually use my own mind to make connections. I don't have to rely on somebody else. And so it's really kind of, you know, instead of sort of uh, uh, thinking that your audience needs to know absolutely everything about your own thought process, it's more about trusting the things that happened and the evidence in the real world, trusting that that is enough for your audience so that they can then have their own uh, interpretations and, and their own feelings about it. And then let them let them reflect, let them respond to that story, give them time to do that, like we were saying earlier. That is so incredibly powerful. And as you said, um, and we've I think a thread that's been coming out throughout this whole conversation, you know, the, the documentation and the data and the statistics, that's what happened. And so mm -hmm. putting that in the context of a story, you're getting the power of both of those things. And I yep. think one without the other is a whole lot weaker than when you put them together. You know, just yep. data doesn't work. Just an emotional story doesn't work. But yep. if you take uh, uh, the data and, and you can figure out the story of that information, um, that's something nobody can argue with. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I have really enjoyed our conversation today, Jerome. Thank you so much for your time. If you want people to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? Well, definitely check out our book, Powered by Storytelling. That's one of the best ways to uh, to learn about us and also learn this method for yourself. It's very practical, uh, and you can find that on Amazon and any bookstore, really. Um, but then I would say our website, narrative.com, N-A-R-A-T-I-V. So we are spelt with just one R and no E, N-A-R-A-T-I-V.com. And I would particularly recommend the blog section. Um, under that blog section, we have profiles of people that we've worked with um, where it's in-depth interviews that's one of the uh, results of our of our assessment um, where where we sort of looked at that and many of the people that we talked to we actually created interviews out of those uh, out of those talks because they were just so interesting and so that's a great way to kind of understand from our clients and and people that we work with um, what we do and how people apply it so you'll find 
practical advice uh, from people from many different walks of life. There's a couple of different profiles of salespeople, actually, uh, that we've worked with, but also um, various leaders and, and the people that I talked about in my, in my examples as well. So I think the blog section on narrative.com is a great uh, resource for people. I love that. You're definitely practicing what you preach, and that's important. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much again for speaking with me today, Jerome. Of course. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for the show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod199. Be sure to tune in next week for our interview with the Chief Growth Officer at Outcome Health, Heidi Anderson-Hugh. And in the meantime, check out this Friday's inspirational episode where Ariana is sharing a great quote that is sure to inspire you. As a reminder, if you have any feedback for us, topics, questions you'd like us to address, guests that you'd recommend we speak to, you can reach us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. If you are enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your shows. While you're there, please leave us a rating or a review. That'll help more people find the show and it lets us know what's working and where we have room to improve. And remember to follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Laura Marchoff, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling!